0: Welcome back to the FundMonitors.com Manager Insight series. I'm joined today by Michael Tobin, the Managing Director of Vantage Asset Management. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Damon. Uh, Michael, uh, I think I want to start today with a bit of an understanding of the differences between Australian and global private equity markets. Um, Vantage, as a manager, invests. Um, primarily in um, uh, investments through other managers in Australian private equity. What are some of the major differences, do you think, uh, between uh, investing in Australian PE and, and global mark- and global private equity?
1: That's a very broad question, Damon, but I think probably the best way to tackle that would be where does Vantage invest and then how does that compare to global markets? So our focus is uh, to ultimately invest into companies in what we call the lower mid-market segment, uh, of private equity in Australia, and that generally means companies you know with earnings somewhere between five to fifty million dollars um, at the time of investment. So enterprise value 25 million through to 250. This segment of private equity uh, tends to provide stronger returns because the time frame for the hold of those investments in the private equity funds is a lot lower. In global markets, the what we you know you often hear about KKR and groups like TPG, Carlisle, Bain, et cetera, the big sort of buyout firms. Um, and and when, when people talk about global markets and comparing Australia to global markets, I would often refer to those firms as being, you know, dominating in the global markets. What happens with their private equity investments is they, they put a lot more debt into their deals. They pay down that debt over time as the company, you know, grows, I, I would say, slightly, um, and the investment is held for a lot longer. And so, therefore, we see that sort of segment of private equity uh, more risky because of those high levels of debt. What we see in our portfolio in the lower bid market in Australia is very low levels of debt. So, as a result, the risk of investing in Australian private equity I see as a lower uh, risk for investors as opposed to investing in global private equity.
0: Uh, you touched on actually something that uh, I'd read in one of your previous articles, and I think that's the misconception particularly for private equity, that managers look to find companies with good cash flows and then put some leverage to the the balance sheet, cut some costs and then pay down that debt, uh, hence increasing the value of the business. Um, You don't don't approach business that way because you're in the mid-tier market. What's some of the differences what are some of the things you implement in that mid-tier market um, to, to grow those businesses?
1: Yeah, so our managers are very focused on growing the earnings of a business that they acquire, Uh, whereas at the bigger end of town, those groups that I was talking about before in the global markets, it tends to be acquiring a business that already has a stable set of revenues or perhaps acquiring other um, competitors in that space to grow those revenues and, as I said before, putting a lot more debt into those deals, which tends to become uh, much more risky. In our segment, it's about growing earnings, and they do that utilizing a number of levers. Um, often it's really building out the team. So that can be building out the finance function, uh, the, the ability of the company to actually monitor the performance of the divisions across that company in different locations. Uh, and then of course, introducing new products, new services, opening up um, those products and services to new geographic regions. I guess a, a common playbook across our portfolio is to buy what they call, what our managers call, a very strong platform business, a business that has a unique product, a a unique service or a set of services and products that are doing well in one geographic location. It could be in one state of Australia it could be, you know, one region of New Zealand. And then actually replicating that business uh, by expanding organically or acquiring competitors and utilising the aspects, the positive aspects of that business into the new business that they've acquired to actually take that business to to a larger global sort of platform and and customer set. By doing so, they're actually expanding the revenue, expanding the earnings, and doing that in that sort of two to four year timeframe, ultimately delivering us a two to four times return on investment.
0: So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of stories of businesses where um, the ideal is expand um, uh, or or bust to to a reasonable extent. Um, what do you do, though, in those sorts of businesses like you just described where they're, they're going maybe from one state to a broader state? Um, what sort of eye have you got to keep on making sure that there's an exit for that for that business and you're not just growing a business um, that you can't get out of?
1: Yeah. So once again, back to that sort of common playbook, what we find is our, those businesses that are expanding and I've got a number of examples where they've started in New Zealand, expanded into Australia, and then getting a foothold into Asia or into the US or into Europe, is then they become attractive to an an offshore acquirer. Now, that offshore acquirer could be a a larger competitor in that industry sector, or it could be a larger private equity fund or institutional investor, or or even, uh, in the extreme case, possibly a listing on on an offshore market. Um, And by actually expanding into those other regions it becomes attractive to those other acquirers to then put more capital into that business to then grow it thereon. A good example of that was Genesis Care, which was a cancer care and oncology uh, business uh, that was in our, um, one of our funds, ADVENT. Uh, it was sold to KKR only after ADVENT had expanded that business across Australia and New Zealand and got a foothold into Asia. Uh, ultimately, that business was sold to KKR uh, because of that foothold into Asia, KKR's Asian fund saw that as an opportunity to expand that business uh, in, in similar way to, to its expansion plans in Australia uh, into the Asian market, which they did so, and that obviously worked out f- to be a good investment for uh, that uh, fund as well. So that, that tends to be a common playbook for our managers.
0: Um, I suppose that brings to to question: What are some of the sorts of situations that can go wrong? I mean. You know, while I think it'd be lovely to get every single investment right, um, it's not always the case. What are some of the sort of common um, uh, bad outcomes that can happen in, in investing in, in private equity?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, our approach is obviously to build a diversified portfolio. Each of our funder funds uh, has under, up to 50 underlying companies when fully invested. Um, so as a result, at investment, no one company represents more than 2% of the portfolio. Now they can grow to become 10 to 15, maybe 20% of our portfolio as they expand over time. But because of that, we uh, obviously diversified. That diversified approach reduce, reduces the risk of investors investing in our fund. Across the 140 companies that our funds have invested in today, we've only had three failures. So I can talk to each of them and and perhaps give an example of uh, you know one of them and how it failed. And one of them was a um, a retailer of musical equipment, it was called Billy Hyde Music Group. Now this business uh, was invested in around the, just just prior to the GFC, I think it was around 2007. Um, It was a corner shop retailer of musical equipment and the fund manager uh, made a decision to actually take that that business and expand it into a larger footprint for each of its locations. Um, So it took on some debt, took on some long-term leases for those larger facilities that it was looking to actually sell the musical equipment from And then, obviously, purchased a lot of musical equipment to fill those spaces. Uh, Unfortunately, the GFC hit, discretionary spend uh, dried up, people stopped buying musical instruments, uh, but then they had to meet the debt that was uh, put into that business and and also, obviously, meet the rent that they were paying on those larger facilities that they were selling the the product from. Um, The manager made a decision not to put any more equity into that business. They couldn't see a way in which they could actually sort of bring that business back within their investment timeframe to make it worthwhile to put more equity in. So in that particular uh, situation, that business failed. Um, ultimately, it was purchased out of administration by another group, merged with another musical equipment group called Alums, and has gone on to be quite successful. Uh, but it was just really a, a, a congruence of the timeframe across the GFC, that lack of spend, and the, uh, the fact that the manager couldn't see where how they could actually get themselves out of that particular situation. We really avoid that going forward, those types of investments really focused on investing into funds that ultimately do not put too much debt into any of the deals and not rely on any particular one sort of market segment to actually generate their returns. Um, and so hence that diversified portfolio helps us reduce those risks overall.
0: Um, the last couple of weeks have seen um, what we've commonly referred to in Australia as reporting season for equity markets. I'm interested to to understand a little bit more about the life cycle of investments in private equity. Are they affected by the sorts of gyrations that we see uh, every sort of February and every August uh, through reporting season Uh, or are are they completely immune to uh, that sort of uh, six-monthly and quarterly dividend uh, paying uh, process? Uh,
1: yeah, so obviously private equity is about taking a, a well-run company private to actually expand it in a short period of time, be it two to four years. So of course there might be some short-term pain when an investment thesis requires that there's a, a you know redeploying earnings back into the growth of the business, and so earnings may drop over that sort of short-term time frame. Our um, managers are getting reports from each of these businesses, on, you know, on a weekly basis, um, so they're, they're able to pull levers very quickly if, if it looks like something, one of the businesses is going out of whack and maybe perhaps spending too much money on a particular project that's not going to deliver the returns that they're seeking. Um, so we never really see a gyration in the value of our portfolio because of the, the, the valuation swings that are happening in the, in the public markets. I guess we did see um, a bit of a drop in our valuations in the, in the March end of March quarter last year when COVID first hit. And that came about because the international private equity valuation guidelines changed. So instead of being uh, a backward looking, how was the earnings over the last 12 months, it became a forward looking, how do you see the earnings of that business uh, over the next 12 months? And in the March quarter, at 31 March, when they had to do their revaluation of their portfolio of companies, they were looking at a situation where Australia could have been in lockdown for six months, which could have obviously impacted the returns of those companies the earnings of those companies. So a number of our managers took a conservative approach to write down the value of those portfolios. In some, some instances, somewhere between 5 to 10%. But there certainly wasn't a massive gyration in value that you see in the public markets. And that's why a lot of institutions globally and a lot of family offices and obviously high net worth now invest in private equity because it has a low correlation to public equity, so when public equity markets are more volatile and, and earnings seasons of reporting ups and downs across various industry sectors, we don't see those gyrations in private equity and so that's the benefit of having private equity in your portfolio because it provides a good balance, has low volatility and a stronger earnings profile, thereby enhancing the total return of your investment portfolio over the term of the investment.
0: Michael, uh, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Um, Much appreciated and good luck for the remainder of the time that um, uh, your current fund, VPEG4, is open. I think that closes uh, reasonably soon. Uh, Thanks for your time and uh, good luck for the rest of the year. Thank you very much, Damon. Good to speak to you and look forward to speaking again.